Finally, no one's speeding. I put my foot on the gas pedal and I press it to the floor. I love wrestling and I do it every day, 24-7. For a while, that got taken away from me. And I'm never gonna let it get taken away again. At this point, Kenny Omega is a myth. He's lore, he's legend, this, he's this idea. The legend of Kenny Omega, the greatest wrestler that ever lived. The Rembrandt, the Van Gogh of professional wrestling, making beautiful, elegant ballet, 60-minute classics in Japan. And you know, I'm hitting people in the face with cream pies and stuff on TV. Whether or not I buy the legend of Kenny Omega, believe me, brother, I'm taking it very, very seriously. That's why I'm going all over Japan, learning all your styles, learning all your tricks of the trade, learning everything about who you are, what you do, where you come from. Kenny Omega the myth seems to think I'm some kind of joke. Well, we're going to be in the ring together, and I assure you, it's not going to be the least bit funny when I break your jaw. This ain't a fucking video game, dude. You only get one life. I'm trying to hurt you. I'm trying to injure you. I'm going to. John Moxley Career Review Podcast. I am your host, the uneducated Joey O'Darty, and we are here bringing you the latest episode of the ups and downs, the trials, the tribulations of the career of the former Dean Ambrose, the purveyor of unscripted violence, John Moxley. And this week's episode, we are looking back at 2019. Last week's episode saw him leave WWE. This week's episode we look at Mox joining AEW. It's his first feud in AEW. It's against Kenny Omega. We look back at his debut, his talk, his Jericho interview, touch upon his time in New Japan, but most importantly, his first debut match against Joey Janela and his first big pay-per-view match against Kenny Omega. And just before we start off with today's episode, I just want to say it's been a really good week for independent wrestling. We had WrestleMania week, which had so much really detailed and fun wrestling action from glory pro which kicked off the weekend with cemetery gates really good match with joss alexander and warhurst on that one to the matches that mox had himself of course he had a very busy week with jay lethal obviously on dynamite then followed up with two absolute killer matches against aj gray and of course the big one that everyone was talking about against biff music fantastic week for himself but then of course wrestlemania itself was actually a good weekend so check out voicesofwrestling.com which have some really good indie reviews not just my own work but plenty of other contributors there and of course the wrestlemania show itself in night one too which actually to be honest with you despite my low expectations actually you know we actually enjoyed it for the most part some really good moments from cody rose of course his debut 
the best match I felt was Bianca Belair versus Becky Lynch, which really was probably both women's best match of their career. And of course, we had the best story in the world when Vince McMahon flopped around the place for Stone Cold Steve Austin. Fair play to the guy. And it was really fun. But let's get on with today's episode. Wow. What a sad story, right? Don't you, don't you feel sorry for John Moxley? I mean, he, he just showed up. He defied. He defied the wrestling god. And he came to AEW, threw me off a stack of chips, and then he went on this journey, a warrior's journey. He wanted to know what it was like to live a month in the life of Kenny Omega's shoes. Insert wrestler name here, better than sign, Kenny Omega. And people were doing that with you. They were, they were, because you were like the hot topic for 15 minutes. This is your big chance of redemption in the excitement of being a free man. You called it a paradigm shift, right? That, that was cool, like you're going to shirt. And then you went to Japan. How did that tournament go in Japan? Did you win? I know that I did. First try, got the shirt to prove it. You decided to start wanting to check off all those boxes on that bucket list of yours. Did anyone really talk about you in Japan? You got a boo-boo on your elbow. <laughs> Did I go to Japan and wrestle 24 days of the month before fighting you? No, you see, I did this thing, John. It's called being a professional. What am I supposed to say? I was ready. I took you seriously. I never got myself injured. I got myself in the best shape of my life. You never took me seriously. You never took this pay-per-view seriously. You owe everyone an apology. You owe me an apology. And you should really look in the mirror, John. Mm -hmm. You should look in the mirror and you should ask yourself, what the, what the fuck am I doing? That's one of my favorite promos that Kenny Omega cut on the build to this match with John Moxley. And of course, to help me out today, I have enlisted the help of Garrett from Eno Wrestling. Garrett, how the hell are you? Not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Thank you for having me on. No, thank you for coming on. We're going to get stuck into this, obviously some John Moxley chat. And the first things first, we'll ask every guest is, first of all, where's your bar in wrestling? What makes you tick? For me, it, it always comes down to like, as, as much as like a great match or whatever, it can be, can be great and all. For me, it always comes down to like certain moments where you can see the story developing or see a new direction taking place or whatever like that. That's the the side of wrestling that really gets me going. So, yeah, the things I would kind of point people to would be like, for example, with Hangman and Omega's story, certain moments in that, like when uh, Omega lets Hangman fall like that, that's a big, a big shift in the story. Those are the things that really get me going. Or, for example, Hangman's uh, his, his interview with, uh, I think it was Tony Schiavone. Uh, after, just after that, there was another one where he really saw into the character. As much as, like, a great match, those are the those are the ones that, that I really, really like. But then having said that, like, as much as I love the journey and, you know, all that, a great match or a moment like Daniel Bryan winning the titles at WrestleMania 30, those are just great as well. You know, when, when the story really hits or when the match really, really hits, uh -huh. that's great as well. But yeah, mainly mainly story focused for me. And so just so people know, when did you start watching professional wrestling? When was it? Was it a Sunday afternoon when you were five or six or was it much later in life? Um, I think I was about 11 or 12, something around that. I, f I can't remember the exact year because often what I would do is I would I wasn't like watching what was going on at, at that time. I was watching old stuff. So like I had like a friend who introduced me to wrestling 
I remember it was a John Cena match, John Cena versus Batista, which I think happened early 2009. But it might have been 2008 or 2000. It's around that time anyway. You've so had a few matches, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it was the I Quit one. That was the one it was. Ah, it showed choice. me that. And I, and then, like, Seamus came out afterwards and, like, kicked John Cena in the head after uh, afterwards. And because I grew up in Ireland, um, I just immediately was like, I like Seamus because he's, he's Irish. <laughs> um and yeah and that's kind of what hooked me in i think when people like hear that like seamus is the wrestler who hooked me in they would probably give me a side eye but you know i I feel like you're irish yourself i don't know what your thoughts on seamus are but like for me as a kid it was just like who just left ireland at that time as well i was just longing to go back so like anything that was (laughs) related to ireland i was just like yes so um yeah seamus is kind of what initially hooked me and then I started watching other like WWE stuff from the past uh, that my friend was showing me. And that's just kind of what got me into it. And then eventually, a few months after that, I kind of actually started keeping up with what was happening in WWE. And then from there, just flicking through the channels, found like TNA. I would occasionally check into that. But like, I don't know, it was kind of when like TNA was on the downward side of its good bit. So it was still good, but it was kind of going down a little bit. And yeah, and then when Cody left, uh, that's when I really kind of like started to realize the magnitude of what like the wrestling world was. So and then when AEW came about, I just well, that's when I just gave up on WWE, basically, because there was a full on alternative. As many people do, unfortunately, but it's great to hear that yeah. Seamus has influenced you so much. <laughs> like, again, like as being an Irishman, I particularly have a little bit of a fondness, a bit of a bias towards him, but it's uh, he was never my go-to guy for wrestling. But it's great to hear that, like, you know, the Irish are still getting their or in everywhere and dragging people into the world of professional wrestling. We're a big group. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's get into the meat and bones of things, first of all. John Moxley, when was the first time you remember seeing this guy? Was it Dean Ambrose or was it even before then? It was the Shields debut at Survivor Series because... I remember seeing Rollins and Roman Reigns on NXT, but I don't know if Dean Ambrose actually did anything in NXT because I don't remember seeing it and I was watching all the episodes. If he did, I feel like it was just like a couple of random matches. and So I might have seen him doing that, but the first time I actually remember seeing him was a Survivor Series. And immediately, um, I already I was a big fan of uh, Seth Rollins from, from his NXT stuff just because it was like, this is the new guy. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And he was good. Uh, and then Roman had only done a, a few things, but I was aware of who he was. So when these three all turned up, um, I was like, OK, I kind of know who these two are. Um, and then Dean Ambrose, as he was at the time, he was a bit of an unknown to me. But like I was immediately drawn in from their debut. And I, I remember it being like one of the most exciting moments because I remember just before that, I kind of stopped watching WWE for a few months. And I thought it's Survivor Series. It's a big deal, blah, blah, blah. I'll I'll give this one a chance and then this is kind of what hooked me back in then so yeah it was it's quite a big of a, a like I don't know if I would have stopped watching wrestling altogether but I was getting very bored of WWE um around that time and then yeah the shield were one of the things that kind of helped hook me back into it so it, it was it was good I had fond memories of early Dean Ambrose in WWE for sure whether it's today or maybe yes a year i think you've always had a bit of an aura about him but we'll yeah. fast forward here to the point where the, uh, today's episode is obviously devoted to his more his departure from wwe and his transition into the world of aew wrestling culminating in his feud with kenny omega so let's start at this arc where, you, where it should start it's early 2019 john moxley 
Dean Ambrose at the time is disillusioned with how he's being used and he's basically being unhappy with his character is portrayed in WWE and he's asked to do things you know that he obviously doesn't necessarily want to do he's not too happy with direction and he's thinking do you know what not for me I'm not happy I don't like how things are going down my contract is three months left and oh, do you know what I'm gonna give my notice so what was your thoughts on John Moxley first of all handing his notice and leaving WWE one of excitement because as soon as AW was announced, I was uh, by this point obviously I've always been a big Cody Rhodes fan, so you know the the, the past few days have been hard for me. Um, <laughs> if, I don't know when this is going out, but like Cody's just announced that he's leaving. Um, but yeah, always been a big Cody Rhodes fan, and then I had like checked out a bit of Kenny Omega in New Japan at like at the point when AW was first announced, and I was kind of like aware of the Young Bucks, probably not really watched actually that much of them. But I was really excited for AEW because, like many people, I, it was like the promise of an alternative and it just felt really necessary. And one of the problems I was kind of having was like, oh, but there's so many guys over here that I want to go over there now. Um, and John Moxley or Dean Ambrose, as he was at that moment, was one of them. And yeah, I, I so when I kind of when it was kind of being rumoured, I was like, he's definitely going because I kind of know, you know, what he's like, you know, if that kind of rumour is out there. It's probably true because Moxley, he's someone who he's someone who just wears his heart on his sleeve, you know, and he's he's a very honest guy. He's very passionate. Yeah, exactly. So when it came, I was just like, I was just, it just built my excitement for AEW even more because I think those rumours first started coming out around January. So it's like just after AEW had been announced, uh, or at least that's when I first started hearing about them. And yeah, so it was just kind of like in anticipation. I kind of always knew he was going to turn up in AEW. At some point, yeah, it was just it was just excitement, really. As soon as I heard that, I was like, okay, that's another thing which is is going to be great for this company, which is turning up at some point. It was very refreshing for me to to hear that he was leaving, especially the fact that like this is around a period where WWE are chucking money at people just to lock them yeah. down. AEW's on the horizon. There are people that are, from what rumors have been told, twelve to eighteen months probably on their contract left, and they're saying, you know, what? we're gonna throw that truck of money up to your house we're going to deliver it to you and you're going to stay with us for the foreseeable future so aw or any other company can't get your hands on you so it was very refreshing to hear like mox is saying yeah do you know what i'm i'm not going to do this this i don't need money i've plenty of money by all intents and purposes he's been there for a good few years he's been at the main event level maybe not the same level as brock or cena or reigns but he's been probably earning at least a million a year at some stages so he's yeah. he's not He's, he's well off in that sense you know and like yeah. like AEW was clearly on the horizon whether that's a happy accident or not is another thing but his contract's expiring he's thinking you know what you know you know, I don't want to stay here I don't want to be continue to be booked as the you know proverbial crusty the clown in, in WWE I'm, I'm not that guy no matter how much money you drive up to my house I'm not gonna like this Un, which is kind of unlike Krusty who probably would do that to be <laughs> fair he specifically says he, he's just not happy with how his direction's gone and like you know he wants to go basically work elsewhere because you know his own inner peace and his own job satisfaction so he moves along to April 2019 and he had he's missed mania which is you know very telling obviously and he's basically a free agent after the Shield farewell, which I thought was a bit of a classy move in one sense from WWE. But as we probably learn in the talk of Jericho, as we get to that now in this segment, it's probably not as classy as they may think. But he's he's left WWE, and it's a big moment for someone who there's no reason for him not to stay with WWE from a financial point of view. We'll set him up for life. It's it's really telling that. He just wants to go and enjoy his craft somewhere. And that's the one thing that I think, for me anyway, endears me to him even further. Yeah, for sure. I think he was quite lucky in that 
he got to go to WWE relatively early in his career, earn all that money, so that then he could be like, oh, okay, well, I've paid off my mortgage. I think he said, I paid off my mortgage, paid off my mother's mortgage. I've got my truck. I don't need anything else. He said something like that. In he's one a of bit of a minimalist, in fairness to him. He yeah. Just, he's not materialistic kind of guy. Yeah. Um, and then obviously it's not like he wasn't going to be working anymore. He kind of, he got everything he wanted out of it. And then he was like, okay, now I've got my, my name value as well as all that. And I can go and actually still enjoy the prime of my career in places where I can really, really do it. So I think like he's kind of, he's done it in the ideal way, really. Like he's, he's got that name value off their company and he's got all the money from them that he, that he needs to get anyway. And now he can just leave and, and be good. And I think he said as well, like he was going to leave regardless of whether AEW was a thing. Cause he was like, he was thinking way back in like the September and the August before, before he actually left in, what was it? April or something when his contract April, actually yes. expired. But he said he was thinking then that I'm leaving. And that's when like, Obviously, All In was announced, but beyond that, there wasn't really like any announcement of AEW or anything like that. I think he just would have gone to New Japan, done the indies, done stuff like that. You know, you can make good money in New Japan. So I think he would have left regardless of AEW. But, you know, luckily, AEW came about and he's had one of the best runs ever since. And what do you think, Garrett, of his WWE booking, you know, especially towards the end of his career there? I mean, obviously not great. Just seeing him come out and do these like random bits was was not great. And like as well with the when Roman got leukemia and announced that and then like the worst worst kind of heat. Yeah. And you could tell like they were all kind of not particularly comfortable with it. So things like that as well. I was just like especially because like I don't know about other people, but I really didn't want to boo John Moxley or Dean Ambrose at that time. No one did. Um, Especially we can see that in the EC3 matches. Like, and this is never going to get EC3 over if Dean Ambrose is getting you know all the cheers. It's just, they're just going to resent EC3 and obviously get behind Moxley. But that's like, I think that was partly because they knew WWE was probably burying him. Yeah, it was just like I as like I said before, as soon as it was announced, I fully believed it because of everything we'd seen in WWE and because of like what you know about Mox as as a real guy, and I was just excited. So like <laughs> I was just happy that like all that kind of booking stuff, like the Nia Jax thing as well. Um, obviously there was the gas mask and all these kind of things that, and then when you found out about the ideas that like he turned down or or didn't actually materialize it's like it was kind of it wasn't fully surprising but it was it was kind of eye-opening this is what i thought was going on but i didn't actually think it was actually that bad <laughs> do you think you were right in WWE not giving him that full full-on you're the man push like you know the, the Cena the Ryan's push he was obviously given title runs but he was never considered the guy there and do you think they were you know justified in that no I think if they had really uh, invested in him properly I mean he was over like as much as anyone was on any show anyway but if they properly invested in him I think obviously not to the same scale but I think he would have been the modern day uh, Stone Cold kind of what he's been like in uh, AEW, at least, again, it's a smaller scale, there's a smaller audience, but I think he gives off that kind of a similar aura to that, um, and I think, yeah, they really could have made something out of him, and I think his, his run in AEW kind of proves that. So Mox is gone, it's April 2019, and shortly afterwards we start to get some vignettes from New Japan, where Juice Robinson's getting stalked, and eventually it's revealed to be the, the former Dean Ambrose, now John Moxley, and there's a buzz. 
And that buzz brings us to the 25th of May, which is double or nothing. It's a big pay-per-view for AEW at the time, and they're growing. And this is what we more or less begins a very big week and a very busy week for Mox. So what are your memories of double or nothing and, of course, Mox debuting? It was a, it was a magical time for me at least, and I, I imagine a lot of other people. It was, it was great because, like, I think most people did expect Moxley to debut on that show in some way, but, like, you didn't know exactly where it was going to come. And the entire show, even, like, the matches which weren't that great, like, I was just so, like, hooked on it because I was like, yes, an alternative, something new. It just all felt great. And then he had Cody Dustin as well, which was, like, something that I had been wanting for a, a long time from when they were both in WWE. It succeeded any hopes I ever could have hoped from that. So I was I was riding on a high from that anyway. Uh, and then you had Jericho Omega, which as a match was, it was all right. <laughs> you know, they both had better matches. Uh, it wasn't even their best match together. But and It's got 49-year-old Chris Jericho in it. So, like, you know, to be fair, yeah. he, he probably got as much as he probably could out of it. Yeah, it was, it was a good match. And then, I, so I was just happy... And then, but then, like, as the match was kind of like coming to a close, and once it ended, I was like, oh, Joe Moxley hasn't turned up. And then I was like, oh, wait, Joe Moxley hasn't turned up. And then my anticipation starts building for like a couple of seconds, and then he, he comes out. And it was like, <laughs> it was so like, I kind of had forgotten about it because the match had allowed me to. And then afterwards, there was like a couple of seconds where I was like, it's going to happen. And then it just happened. Sometimes like when you are expecting something, it's it's great. And I think in that moment, it was perfect because it was like a company delivering on all your hopes and dreams, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. And then obviously the brawl that happened after that was was, was great. It felt like re- truly electric, um, like that crowd was just like exploding. And it really did feel like, you know, wrestling of the past as opposed to like the plastic product that WWE had put out for quite a while up to that point. Yeah, attacking both Jericho and Omega was just like perfect. It just showed that like Mox wasn't going to be this necessarily this baby face or this heel guy. He's just going to be Mox. He's just going to kill everyone. Um, so it, it was great. And obviously the long-term ramifications of that as well in terms of setting up two, two of his long-term rivalries were, was, was brilliant. So yeah, the whole show... Um, Moxley's debut in particular, along with uh, Cody versus Dustin, it was just like a confirmation of like, this is a train worth getting on, really. It was perfect. I, I don't know, obviously CM Punk had a great AEW debut, but like, I don't know how many debuts just gave me that feeling of just like, this is perfect, you know? No, the place was absolutely buzzing. And this is where AEW are obviously proven that they're putting their best foot forward. They're killing it. But during this pay-per-view, rumors are obviously circling about a Mox debut, so like especially after the New Japan announcement. People yeah. are thinking, yeah, it, it, this is a good place for him to debut. And, you know, yeah. yourself, we sometimes we can work ourselves into the shoot, and it's not going to happen when we expect it. But during the aftermath of the main event, we get the crowd absolutely erupting. Like, he looks yeah. great. He's in great shape. He's big. He's muscular. He's absolutely oozing bravado and confidence and the crowd my god they they're they're well into him and he's feeding off it as he enters the ring it's just the place is a really special moment and it was great and the, the best thing i pretty loved is not necessarily this attacking jericho or omega but that exact very lasting image of him on top of the poker chips sitting there quietly you know surveying exactly what he just did and it, it's just a great yeah. way to finish the pay-per-view a great visual and AWE, you know, they knocked that out of the park that night, right? Yeah, for sure, 100%. And th- yeah, that image of him on top of the chips, the iconic little thing that you needed there, uh, not only for like 
video reels and all that for years to come but just like in that moment yeah this is this is this is good this is great <laughs> like we talked about moments with WWE but this was a moment but again yeah. the week gets pretty much still more busier for Mox as he goes <laughs> down to have a chat with Chris Jericho after more or less pulverizing him a couple of days before <laughs> it's talk is Jericho did you catch this interview what did you make of it it was pretty big at the time yeah I, I remember listening to it because obviously it was all over the place and so but I felt like nothing really massively surprised me I think especially at this point because I was so disillusioned with WWE that like all the stuff he said was just kind of like confirming what I'd already kind of known your desensitized to WWE's you know treatment yeah of the workers. yeah exactly when he was like going over all of it it was like it was good to hear that oh that's all confirmed and stuff but there was nothing in it that like really surprised me and I was expecting him to really go in and like just completely bury but he did it in quite a respectful way and he just kind of I don't know whether he actually held back or whether he was just giving everything or whether he just was giving everything but in like a, a polite way in a way where it was I'm gonna bury you but <laughs> I'm gonna do it without being too horrible yeah like I, th- I think he I think he just gave enough basically I imagine there's more to the story even so you know where I was like when people were hyping it up I thought it was going to be the full way whereas I think Mox did the classy thing really and just yeah. he, he had to bury them obviously because I mean there's no way that you can't really just by telling the truth uh, like you say he wrote he rose above it and I think that kind of made me made me like him even more because he didn't just go and be like ah screw you guys as, as much he as took that, the high road <laughs> yeah as much as that would have been great as well um and you know probably would have made him an even bigger an even even bigger hero in the eyes of anyone who was looking for a, an alternative but yeah no it just it shows the kind of guy he is you know like he didn't fully bury them as i expected him to like i was kind of thinking yeah. like he didn't go full cm punk that's the best way of really yeah, yeah. like he was a lot more positive about them in some ways obviously he enjoyed a lot of his time there made some great friends some great memories and of course met his wife there which you know listen it's not the worst place in the world but they're yeah. far from the best jericho basically he just stepped aside and through the whole thing he just let mox really vent his yeah. his really his disillusionment and sometimes but again he took the the classy route as you say took the high road and you know the the things he was obviously critical about like there are things like he was more saying listen that's the way they do things that's not for me yeah you know, exactly. the scripted promos like you know you can see this and no one likes them and like he wasn't obviously happy with how he was being viewed he didn't want to be the rodeo clown the goofball that vince clearly loves and that's not a knock necessarily on dean ambrose as the character that's what Vince likes these kind of characters. He likes ridiculously yeah. stupid, goofy kind of gimmicks, and like boy, our truth's still there to this day. And he just wasn't pleased about becoming a jester. Like you know, and he wanted to be more, as he put in his book, he wanted to be more John McClane than yeah. these kind of comedy skits. You know, with the with the, the hot dog vending and the the Mitch the Plant stuff. But listen, it is what it is, and. He, again, he does take the high road for most part of it. And it was very interesting, I thought, like just to hear how he felt he was being buried at the end. Of it. And he was thinking, well, they're probably trying to bury me here. But, you know, like, <laughs> I kind of like this. I can get involved in this. And he was trying to make, you know, lemonade out of the lemons he's given. And WWE started realizing he's actually, you know, enjoying this to a certain extent. And he's like, putting his best foot forward. They just dropped it. It's like, you know, they're so spiteful and petty. They don't want you yeah. to be happy whatsoever if you're taking your ball and going home. And clearly trying to bury the guy on the way out. Like, Yeah, no, ex- exactly. It, and again, that just shows, just shows what what Moxie was all about. Like he just kind of like he just he knew he just had to ride out those months. So he kind of just made the most out of it he possibly could with whatever it was that were gonna give him. I think as well he knew that like it would be so easy for him to rehab his image because he, 
I don't maybe he didn't maybe he was a bit worried but for me I was always like when these things are going on I know as soon as he comes out look like, he's going to be exactly what I know he can be because we had seen like a watered down version of John Moxley in WWE at one point uh, mm-hmm. when he was like the champion and stuff we had seen like a glimpse of what he could have become I, I knew as soon as he left it was it was all going to explode uh, as it did ultimately I feel like the the one thing I really took away from that interview which had sort of sticks to me is the fact that like for his last appearance on the Shield farewell he gets 500 quid which is basically the minimum you can get as a performer this is what the jobbers get for touring up and being paid whether they work or not and it's just one big you know fuck you really to, to, you know, to you Ambrose at the end and Jericho I think jokes at the end of it like he should frame it and like WWE in a nutshell isn't it no. but it was fabulous the insight of Moxley and you know where his mind is at like he's clearly like he's clearly still got his passion for pro wrestling he still wants to be going in full full on and he's exploring things like the AEW and New Japan and it's you can see the guy is still interested is, is he hasn't lost any sort of his belief that pro wrestling is where he wants to be so that was fantastic to know and it brings us then up to Fighter Fest which is you know his debut and what were your memories of his very first match in AEW? Uh, to be honest, until like I I watched it back uh, in preparation for this, like all I really remembered was it just being like a few spots and just being like, oh yeah, Moxley. I was aware of Joey Janela. I didn't really, besides what I'd seen in AEW, I hadn't seen anything. Um, I just knew that he was like very popular indie guy. You know, did death matches, so obviously you kind of knew what you were getting them with him against Mox. But yeah, like until I watched it back, like I couldn't really remember all that much. I couldn't remember any spots. And then when I was watching it back, I was like, oh yeah, I, I remember this now. Like I kind of like was getting that that feeling I had at the time again, which was just I feel like those first few AEW shows, anytime they were on, it was pure excitement, no matter what. There was definitely some bits, some matches in in those shows, which which wasn't particularly great. I was just like so hyped for just it, it to be existing. In that moment, I probably I probably missed like a few things. I can't believe like I cut that image of Janela being dropped on his bare th- feet into thumbtacks. Oh, yeah, nasty. I can't believe that that went out of my that that went out of my head. And then the paradigm shift into the thumbtacks as well. Like this one of like the most brutal spot. I feel like if you just get dropped on your back in thumbtacks, obviously you're gonna feel it, but your back is they're just little pins, you know. Whereas that in your feet, it's just that's horrible. I don't know about you, but I don't fancy being dropped on packs. <laughs> oh no, I wouldn't. <laughs> You'll I take wouldn't that bump. Want it. I wouldn't want it, but like I think in terms of like when you think about if you're gonna get like pricked in the back or pick, pricked in the body anywhere, I feel like in the back is probably the best place for like those those small little those small little things. Because like on your feet or any, anything like that, that's just that's gonna kill, you know. <laughs> and, and what did you make of the stipulation itself? Like, you know, lights out. Like, what differentiates this between a normal no holds barred and DQ match? What did you make of the stipulation? I like the stipulation, but I did I do remember thinking like, oh, this is something that should be built kept for something which feels like massive. And this and then like other examples like that they've done more recently, Orange Cassidy versus Adam Cole. They've done some which definitely don't warrant the stipulation. I think this kind of got a pass because um, it was Moxley versus Janela. Um, and it was the first time they did it. And I think they wanted to establish uh, that thing. So I think it kind of got a pass. But like, I didn't feel like it It was actually warranted. It felt like they were just having one for the sake of having a Lights Out match. But I did enjoy it. And I, I understand they had to kind of establish it. And I think when you got to Omega... 
it all played into that and building that up into being something even bigger rather than being something where it was like a complete unknown. So I think like long term, it was definitely the right decision. But I remember going into it, I was just, why are these two having this big of a fight? You know, obviously I knew because they're both, you know, deathmatch guys who, who love doing that. I knew why. Yeah, it's just one of those things, I guess, which was like in my head, like it was hard to kind of get into the story of this match. And for that reason, like, I didn't really think anything of Janela after the match. I was just like, yay, Mox won. And it was, that was, that was kind of it. But I think as a debut, though, like, there aren't many debuts in terms of debut matches that, like, they go to this extent, you know? I feel like the stipulation itself, like, the lights out gimmick is, is, does it work in 2019 or even now? Because, like, basically, you just flick the lights on and off. It's a bit dumb (laughs) in that sense. Like, it doesn't make any difference whatsoever. I can still see a referee. The lighting's still the same. There's still (laughs) intro and outro music for these guys. Like, it's still clearly a match I don't understand. And the match was still always going to be on, you know, it's always going to be on Mox's record, you know, because he's won. There's no need to not have this as unsanctioned yet. Just just call it a normal hardcore match or whatever. Like, I don't know. But I can see why Tony and Cody use this. It's not the Cody's own man. It's obviously old school wrestling from the 70s. 80s, so yeah. I can see why they do this, but you know, stipulation semantics aside, I really enjoyed the match. Like, I thought, like, what, first of all, what did you think of Mox's entrance? Like, coming coming down the ramp, like, it's so I, I wasn't, I didn't remember this whatsoever. It's like, it's so foreign to me. He's usually barging his way through the crowd. Yeah, um, I remember like when it happened, uh, at the time, I was like a little bit disappointed, and obviously, he went back to coming through the crowd eventually. But like, I remember when that happened, I was like, oh no, this feels wrong. <laughs> Just because, like, when he made his debut, it was... It just doesn't suit, right? Obviously, in New Japan, like, their ramps and stuff are a little bit different. So, like, when he was... I think in New Japan, he came down the ramp a couple of times, and then sometimes he was coming out from the crowd. Obviously, that was a little bit afterwards. So, after this match, like, especially when, like, I was watching him in New Japan, I was like, yeah, just always come out from the crowd. And luckily, you know, he's gone back to that again. Um, But, yeah, it, it was weird. It was definitely weird, like... And and I'll, tell you, I'll tell you one thing about like his new Japan run is that like I loved his look wearing the wrestling trunks. Obviously, I can understand yeah. why he wouldn't wear it in this kind of a match now, but it's one thing I'd always like him to see him in AEW would be wearing the trunks and the Asics boots. It just it's such it makes him so much better in my opinion. Like you know, but you know, there's yeah. little things like that I wish he would do more. But that's really I think he looks great in that sort of attire. But it's great to see him here. Like Janela's like he's bumping like a boss. He's selling those yeah. clotheslines well. The fans are into him. This isn't the rodeo clown of WWE. There's no hot dog cars there's no gas masks he's there's no mitch the fucking plant like he's <laughs> literally just straight into and like it gets no holds barred okay spot to spot but there's some really good spots in this match like you know like the russian leg sweep in particular i thought that was really well executed yeah, yeah. janela it looked fantastic came out of nowhere very yeah, it just, unexpected it just kind of that that was one of the ones that really stood out because it just kind of like i said it comes out of nowhere it showed in, in this match, throughout the match, it showed that, like, this is John Moxley. It wasn't Dean Ambrose for anyone who kind of was on the fence or didn't realise, you know? And Mox doesn't have to make these kind of crazy bumps. He doesn't, you know? Like, he's yeah. a star. Like, he's an established star coming from WWE. He does not have to bump for Joey Janela. Yeah, he does. He takes some ridiculous bumps, like the, the elbow drop off the top rope, you know, from yeah. Janela. He takes that. You know, the, the, obviously, the, what we just mentioned, Russian leg sweep through the table. He's going... Death Valley Driver forced into a board with yeah, yeah. does not need to do this but yeah, yeah god this just makes you respect him even more for me like there's no need for this yet he does it anyway and obviously Janela like he makes him look like a million bucks really you know Mox is strong in this and it's a very perfect debut for him he, he's over with the crowd he shows how tough he is and fans want more yeah for sure like it just it sold you on what 
John Moxley was going to be outside of WWE. Um, and like you said, it just made it, it definitely made you want more. And that's why, like, because obviously there was a long wait for the TV. I was like, oh no. So that's when you went to Japan and stuff. Like that really helped me fully dive into New Japan because I checked bits out here and there before, but I wasn't watching. Like, he was every your segue. He was your yeah. bridge. He was the one that was getting me to watch every show, basically. And then once I properly got into it and then he went back to, to AEW, I was then able to like keep going with it um, until recently when the project dropped off a little bit. But yeah, no, uh, like he really helped me do that because I was just so desperate to see more and more of John Moxley every time. Um, and I was eager to get into New Japan as well, because like I said, I'd only seen I'd seen bits here and there, but I wasn't properly into it's the always, product. It's always hard to make that first step, especially because it's, it's a foreign product in that sense. But like, yeah, you need that kind of bridge or that guy to sort of say, listen, there's AJ Styles here, or there's similar myself when it comes to New Japan back in the day with Kurt Angle. So that was like my way of like, yeah, I know who this guy is and I want to see more of him and see him in this sort of new setting. So Mox really does bring a few new fans with him. But like, what did you think of, okay, what do you even think of him now? What do you think of Joey Janela now? Because like this is a guy who's obviously leaving by this by all intents and purposes AEW at this stage now into 2022. And like I hear he's clearly the, the gatekeeper for obviously a new talent that's coming in and he's gonna make him look good. What do you make of Joey Janela's AEW run? Yeah, I feel like they could have made more out of him. Like I feel like outside of the matches, I don't really know what he offered on screen to the fan. Obviously, I know what he did behind the scenes in terms of like being the bridge between AW and GCW and certain other indies and stuff. And and also, you know, suggesting talent and stuff like that to come in as well. But on screen for us as the fans, like, I never really got into the character side of him. Uh, he had a, a Lights Out match with Omega on uh, Dark. I, he I, did. One of the first episodes of Dark. It might have been the first. And that was great. He was a useful guy to have around. And I feel like he is someone who I would... If I was Tony Khan, I would say, keep doing your indie stuff, blah, 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 but we'll keep you on a certain contract. Maybe it's like a, maybe it is a pay as you appear or whatever, but we want to keep, you know, good relations with you. And then if we, if we need you for a certain match or whatever, or a little program here and there, then we'll, then we'll bring you in. I feel like they should still do that because he's definitely got value, like with this Moxley match or that Omega match, like he showed he's got value in that sense. But I guess there are a lot of guys who do offer that and then, also have a bit more of a, a character about them. I feel like Joey Janela really could have had, had that, but it just never showed it on TV. He seems like quite a charismatic guy. He's got the bad boy kind of like aesthetic going to him. He's got the sexy first name, of course. Yeah, yeah, you know, he's, yeah he's got a great name. Um, so like, yeah, like I think like, uh, I think they could have made more out of him. It's not something which I'm gutted about if he leaves because ultimately they haven't really got me to invest in him well he hasn't got me to invest in him but i do feel like there's something that they could have made more out of but it is what it is not everyone's going to be not everyone can stay around forever you know yeah you can't push everyone and like i am sad not to see him not being as utilized as much because i think just that like you said there is value to him he'd be a great jobber to the stars and i mean that affectionately like he is the yeah. guy who puts these guys it's over like sean spears you know yeah, there is value to him, and you usually I think his matches kind of overrun, they get a bit overcooked. For example, his, his match with Cardona at GCW recently, like sometimes yeah, yeah. I always associate Joe Janela with a match that goes on too long, but this one was fine. This was the perfect length. 
I never felt like I was reaching for my phone or you know getting bored with the match. It kept me you know invested, and it's a PE you can't you know stay around. But like then we of course we have the the end spot then with Omega coming in to get revenge on Moxley, and again another brawl ensues, and there's yeah. just setting up this feud you know nicely, and it's it's Peter's way now down to to AEW all out, and this is where we obviously will get the hopefully the payoff, but sadly. Mox, you know, he, he goes to New Japan, works his ass off, but he gets a staff infection and can't make it and he's replaced with Pac. What did you, what was your initial thinking of this match being cancelled? Obviously it was gutting, but because I really, I'm a massive fan of Pac, I was really excited for him versus Omega as well. So I was, I was gutted, but then I was like, oh, but then the selling just as good basically is, is coming in replacement and when Mox is healed up, we'll get it anyway. So I was okay with it because obviously I knew there was nothing, it couldn't be helped or whatever and we're getting a great replacement um but it, it was gutting but i really liked how it kind of like added onto the story between him and omega because omega he said in like one of the pre-recorded like promo things they did leading up to uh yeah, where he's calling him he's calling him a myth and he's saying you know he he looks down on a moist wrestling from john moxie's point of view yeah yeah he says that and then he also like oh you went to new japan uh you know you tried to do what i did for so many years and, and then you got injured you, you know you got hurt it ended up being like another little piece of their story um so it kind of worked out nicely um but i i always just wonder like what would have happened like if if moxley had wrestled that match uh or moxley and omega had wrestled that match at all out because, yeah, I don't know, were they going to do like a lights out stipulation? I don't think they were because I think they wanted the uh, the title match to go on last. So what, was it even going to be like that violent or was it just going to be a match? Like what kind did, of match? Did we just we miss out on a match? Like and then he went. Obviously, the, the match at full gear was always going to be the direction anyway, perhaps. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Potentially, because um, that would have made a lot of sense for like the bigger picture plans they had for other guys in that company. Like. If those guys didn't have that match in full gear, what would they have done? Because Cody was wrestling for the title. Maybe they would have done like Omega Pack there and Moxley would have done something else. I don't know. But like it seemed to make a lot of sense. I'm glad we got like the build we did to, to the Omega Moxley match because all the stuff on TV that came, like Moxley's Dynamite debut, that was like potentially even better than his double or nothing debut because him popping up behind Omega, that was just so iconic. And then the spot with the glass table as well, like dragging yes. Omega out of the match like that was so great as well would we have got that if it wasn't for you know for this injury so I think it did work out well but I wonder like what the exact direction would have been if it hadn't happened but I guess we'll never know we always wonder about what we've missed out on but I, I love the feud in general to get to the point where we are at full gear like I think the way the inter interwined the New Japan story of obviously Mox going to try and walk in Omega's shoes and see how tough he is, but then obviously fading and Omega's like, you know, like, how did that work out for you? You know, you can't yeah. be me. I, I can be you, but you can't be me. And it's like, Mox is like, well, okay, come to my world. Come to my world. Come down. Get down and gritty. Get dirty. Get filthy. And, and then uh, see if you can handle it. Yeah, also, obviously, he, he then, Omega had that match with Janela as well in the build to uh, Moxley versus Omega. And so that was like already a little bit where like Omega was like, see, I can go and do what you did. Because obviously Jen Mox yeah. had already faced Janela. Like he literally did the, uh, well, not the same match, but a very similar match. Um, and he won as well. So it was like, that was another thing kind of Omega was holding over Moxley, which was good because it kind of made, it kind of made you feel like Moxley, even though like, you know, he, he is like equal on equal par with Omega. But because AW was like, it kind of felt like it was 
the young bucks omega cody it felt like it was their company so you you did have like a little doubt in, in your head of like uh how are they going to treat uh someone like moxley because he's the guy from wwe and they'll utilize him to be a big deal sure but when you've got jericho omega you know cody there you've got all these other big stars like is he just going to be one of them but obviously luckily um they were like now nah, he's just a mega star and we're just going to use them like that but because of how wrestling is you never know and that was like another thing in their little story which is like feels like this is a maker's company moxley's coming into it i mean he literally does just like his debut he came in targeted omega like that's the guy he wanted so yeah i really like that aspect of the the build in this match as well Oh, they did a great job, I think, of building the match. Like, I think, like you said, from the promos, obviously building it up. But also, there's some really good matches. Like, there's a match Moxie has packed the tag. They have yeah, Omega yeah. and Hangman, which is, was great. Again, like, Moxie and Omega, they, they, they work very well. Their dynamics worked really well. as sort of countering each other, being chalk and cheese. Like, especially, I loved Omega taunting them over the, the loss of, obviously, the G1. And obviously, getting the stat yeah. fetch and saying, listen, you didn't take me seriously because you went on off and did G1. I'm a professional. I wouldn't have done that. I took you seriously and i'm gonna take you seriously come you're a hack i'm the yeah. guy i'm i'm the man and this is i rethought this this whole feud and the build it, it felt special you know and i felt like this again at this stage whether it's the first match or not the unsanctioned stipulation i feel really added to it a lot like and could we see omega get down and dirty and win will mox you know fall to the superior wrestler it was like you know really i didn't know which way this could go yeah and because of it being unsanctioned as well and it did not counting on your records and all that that really helps as well, like because I was like, oh yeah, it feels like Moxley's the one being built for this, being built like can, to be the next. It could next be a bit of a cop out, but I understand why it's there. It's there to be used, and you know, like I think the one thing people used to throw a lot of criticism at AEW was this ranking system. You know, they like, can how yeah. is actually going to be used properly, and you know, it's it's kayfabe. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's a it's a plot device. That's what it is. It's going to get people to to fuse. It's going to be used when it's needed to be used, and I think it's perfect. And like you know, it, it, when there's matches like this that don't count, like you know, it's not because it's a bad thing. You look, you've got to look yeah. at the positive side of things, and thinking, this is why it's being used to keep this guy looking somewhat strong in the feet. Like and like I think it's it's a simple yet a very effective. Tool and I really enjoyed this match first and foremost. But Garrett, what were your thoughts? The stipulation obviously it doesn't just help protect Omega in that it doesn't give him a loss on his record, but it also it holds Moxley back because obviously you wanted to save that um that program with Chris Jericho for the title for the for the build to revolution. So it's it just it holds off on that for a little bit. But ultimately the, the best thing about that stipulation in this match for me was that it made it made it so much more unpredictable in the result of who was going to win it and even though I, I did predict Moxley to win at the time just because I felt like he needed it more and I knew Omega was a guy who kind of was always about the story so he wasn't just going to book himself to win for no reason but even so like it felt like either guy could win and the match kind of reflected that like it, it was a true like escalation of violence as, as he went as he went through the match you've got Mox leading the way at some points and then Omega constantly trying to one-up him and then Omega takes over and Mox has to kind of fight his way back into it. And it, it was fantastic as well with no real heel or face dynamics. It was just two guys going at it. I think Two very likable guys. Exactly, yeah. Um, and even though, like, this was for me, like, watching this match, I was like, I felt that Omega was going to turn heel 
before too long. I felt that that was coming. And then when he had his team with Hangman, I was immediately, he's he's going to be the one to turn. And I remember I was getting I was getting loads of crap on Twitter because people were like, no, Kenny Omega can't be a heel. You know, blah, it was blah, such blah, a blah. slow burn in hindsight. Yeah. Like a, a full year to be turned heel again. And obviously then that was, that was a get, well, the confirmation of that heel turn was against Moxley as well. So they obviously had a lot of this planned out. You just saw little bits of Omega, like getting a little bit frustrated and, for, trying to force himself to Moxley's level and just these little moments where it was like you could tell like a little bit of ego was creeping in there or whatever with, with Omega which was it was very very subtle and I didn't notice like it too much at the time I just all I felt was I felt like Omega was more on the heel side and then when his team with Hangman started going I was like yeah he's going to be the one to turn but watching it back even though it's subtle you can really notice it the hatred um, is, is much more on Omega's side, the bitterness. He's, he's like, he, yeah. Mox is kind of coping with everything, where Omega, you can see this frustration starting to see. Yeah. I think that's the difference between the two. What what did you make of Omega's, you know, attire, first of all? He's coming out here for a hardcore match, a really tough, you know, all-out plunder, <laughs> plunder affair, and he's coming out more or less just dressed in his normal gear. Like, what did you think of that? Do you think that was, like, symbolism of, like, you know, I'm a professional, this is my wrestling gear, and I'm here to wrestle, and I'm going to do this and this always, or would you have preferred to see him in more of a Shawn Michaels 2002 SummerSlam sort of cowboy boots and jeans number. Nah, I think I think for Omega at least I think it was the right call because like you say he is just he, even no matter what match he goes into he's always going to portray himself as who he is and even though like this match isn't it's not the kind of thing you would expect from necessarily a sport because it's <laughs> they're hitting each other with all sorts of, like there's no rules it kind of like in some way defies what a sport is so there is that but like at the same time like Omega always he does carry himself as a professional like throughout that heel run that he did have it was just it was him shoving that down your throat and that was what was so like annoying oh, I about him it. yeah I, I love this heel run it's something I probably won't get to talk about too much here until I get to that uh, particular stage and like obviously yeah. when he turns it's Ah, it, it. I think his work is. He's so. I don't think he gets the. I think he gets a lot of respect. But I think I don't think he gets enough credit from some people. Some people just nah. like they, they, they want to shit on him. He's just, he's so good. He's so. He, this is the his nearly his coming out party in American pro wrestling. It's sort of like you know I yeah. can be a character too. Yeah. No. Ex- exactly. From the gear perspective, I I like that he did keep it like that because it really felt like it was. And because it was Omega coming into Moxley's world, he kind of was like. He was like, I'm not even in that like subtle way. It was just like, I'm not even going to give you the respect. I'm, you know, I'm going <laughs> to come in, be myself, and I'm going to be better than you as myself. Obviously, he lost, but yeah, it was that kind of that. I like that kind of side of him with the ego. So yeah, I'm glad that he kind of kept it how he did, basically, rather than going for like that Shawn Michaels, <laughs> the jeans and the cowboy look, or whatever, whatever <laughs> well, it was. Like, any the look we probably wear. got in the uh, floating barbara match, like that. I think that Omega looked a million bucks in that. Like, yeah. yeah that, that, it was great, great little. I love when people wear their street foot clothes. I just, I just think it's a little yeah. thing about wrestling. I love. And but, doesn't um, he have the doesn't he have the knee pads on? Exactly. <laughs> it's so funny. What what spots in this particular match did you like? Because there's a lot of good spots. It does kind of go from one to another very seamlessly, very much. And like, but there's so many good ones. Like there's like the bringing out the bar bat, the bar broom, and I think the visuals yeah. of the the blood subtly, not like it's not a blood bat, but just subtly over the backs of each each performer. I thought that was like really good visuals the you yeah. obviously got the the barbed wire sort of bed which is nasty looking and these guys went through the pain you've got the phoenix splash onto the the hardwood of the of the ring there's so much i think just like these guys left it all out there 
we uh, and and what I love is like because I remember like for some people like this match was too violent for them like they were left actually feeling uncomfortable. Oh really? Um, this, this is this was this was a just the right amount. I'm not a death match fan like by any means. But this was just this is just right. It wasn't too far. It wasn't too much. Like both guys were pretty much safe. I don't think they were ever really in any danger. So that that was that's interesting to know. Yeah, no, there were there were some people who like um didn't like it for that reason, and then obviously there were they're always going to be the people who's like, oh, that was just a spot fest because, uh, you know, they maybe they weren't paying so much attention or whatever. But for me, Why I really that a bad thing? that. Why is being a spot test that's a, no, I don't know I think it's just a I different know. type of match and it can be very enjoyable I and the, I don't know but for me like it wasn't even a spot fest anyway it was what like, I was going to say like it was a really nice escalation of violence I love how they started off with like the normal weapons like using trash cans and chairs they do a brawl to the outside and they use like the bin and stuff just like kind of classic stuff and then as they come back to the the ring area that you then get that you know the bat with the barbed wire from Moxley, and then Omega like one ups him and brings out the broom with the barbed wire, which is obviously a nice touch for his character. But then taking that um, taking that hardcore twist to it as well, and then obviously you get like the mouse trap board and the Terminator dive through a table. All these kind of like your traditional kind of uh, no disqualification matches or whatever, um, but then with a little bit of a gimmicked twist on them which i really liked and then you got like these kind of it kind of turned into like a bit more a bit more gruesome a bit more properly hardcore when like omega's hanging moxley with that gold chain and then i love the look of the gold chain as well like just as a you know a little bit of a difference from the traditional silver the dirtiness this this, yeah i don't know it's just a nice visual yeah no exactly It, it was it was it was great and then the shattered glass as well. Uh, Omega gets the glass and is like running it through Moxie's fingers and then shatters it. And then they do all sorts of moves into that, like spine buster or there's like a sidewalk slam and stuff like that into the glass, amping up the the violence. Every like every, every move kind of seems to be a little bit more and a little bit more <laughs> violent or disturbed, maybe you say. And then you get like these big spots with like um, uh, the barbed wire bed, which is obviously like a pre-planned thing from Omega where he had to go and tell like the young bucks and hangman to go and get it, which was, which is great because it just showed that like Omega was coming into this match. He had like these little plans and these little ideas, which, which I really liked. I think some people were like, Oh, that feels contrived. But like, if you're going into a match, like, yeah, yeah, a match like this. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and the backboard, was... which I think was the, the g- genius part of the match. Like, yeah, you know, he's either going to all this trouble and then gets used against them. Again, uh, yeah, and that's the kind of thing which happens to heels, which is another thing I noticed whilst watching this match. Was like, even though it was like basically face versus face, it was definitely like Omega who was more on the heel side. Uh, and you can see that with in like the Young Bucks and Hangman's face when he's telling them to get that barbed wire bed. They're like you're going too far now and like that's the first little glimpse you get of like the omega which we get like 18 months later or whatever it is of when um no not 18 uh it's about like nine months later isn't it uh when he they he has that trios match with uh jurassic express and he just like snaps like marco's stunt like goes on him it's the same kind of like look in his eye and that was like that was something i noticed watching it back the descent into madness if you will yeah, yeah, exactly. Very subtle, like good acting from Kenny because, like, I know he's someone who thinks about this stuff, and like, it, it's. I think he's he just played his part in this match so well. But then, obviously, after that barbed wire bed, you've then got the V trigger through the set as well, which was yeah, just another great, great spot. That was a good visual, very good visual. Yeah, 
and then they get back to the ring um, and Moxley realizes, oh, you know, Omega's taken it to this level. I've got to do something. Hits the paradigm shift into the shattered glass, which is a near fall, which I remember biting on at the time. Obviously, watching it back, I knew the finish, so didn't bite on it as much. But I remember at the time I thought, oh, that's the This ending. should be the finish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then it wasn't. And I was like, oh, damn, what are they going to do? And then obviously that's when Mox pulls up the wood. And this is these two are like... Up until this point, it's, you've, got, you've got like big spots, gimmick spots, gruesome bits, which are like Moxley getting hung with the chain or whatever. But they're all things that I know, you know, you can be, you can work them well and, it, you know, it's fine. When you pull up the board and it's just like that, that plain wood and Kenny, he legit lands face down after doing all those flips for the Phoenix Splash. He legit lands like face down. I think he catches a little sore. bit with his hands. Like I was thinking, he, looks... he potentially you can coast here because he hits it forehead first. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it looks it looks horrible. And that's another like near fall, which I definitely bought one at the time. And then for me, the the ending is one is one of my favorite endings because it's my favorite paradigm shift ever. Kenny like fully takes it. He just goes oh, for it. He just goes, nasty. I'm just gonna land on my head and <laughs> onto the wood as well. Um, it's it's. That's, I think, maybe where I think people were like, oh, I actually am worried that he's concussed or whatever. But it was one of the most believable endings. And it's just one of my favorite spots, like, ever. Because it just, it's so, like, even watching it back and knowing he was fine in the end, just, like, I was so, like, just, like, a little bit <laughs> shaken by it. But, yeah, just fantastic, fantastic oh, match. They left it all out in the ring. But one of my favorite spots, I have to mention, I loved, loved, loved the Scorpion Deathlock spot. Going for the yeah, glass yeah. to try and break the hold. Like yeah. I, I was always wondering though, like why did why was it released? It's a non-sanctioned match. You can keep him in this hold yeah. and destroy him. Like, it's just a little thing, you know, that like a little nitpicky thing. But any sort of criticism yeah. they have, they're very nitpicky. But I love that spot. It looked great. It's psychology, psychology wise, it looked really well and made sense. It was logical, and I was like, oh, God, this 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 is great. This is where this match escalated for me. It was like, yeah, it was absolutely fantastic spot and like you know mox looks very strong and in, in obviously in victory omega he's been battered he's he's but he's tough he's took his beatings that's it's yeah. taken a lot to put him down and i think both men really delivered here yeah for sure now like i remember just like at the time just being kind of <laughs> just kind of gobsmacked at what we just seen because i expected violence of course but like i didn't expect it to go with especially with that stuff with the woods i think was where i that was where i was like actually shocked because up until that point, it was like, oh, this is cool. This is cool. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, and that was the point where I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, these two uh, can deliver a great match without going to these lengths. So, like, it's like, no, yeah. it's, you got to respect these guys. Like, but these guys yeah. want to. They can say, no, we're not doing this. You know, I'm stars. We don't need to. We don't need this sort of grief. We can we can perform without this, which they have done, obviously. But, like, yeah. it's just phenomenal to see the dedication to the likes of Moxley and Omega. They want to go out there and put on the best damn show they can, and I believe they, they put on one hell of a match. Like, Omega proved he's so versatile. He's not just, you know, a big main event guy who can obviously do really good, smooth moves. He can get down and dirty, and Mox held his own completely. Like, he's primarily, obviously, a brawler, but he goes in there, and he this match is tailored to him, so he's obviously going to look strong, and this match was always going to be you know a very high rating before even the bell rings you know this is going to be a really good match and like what did you make of star rating from your point of view like dave he goes ahead and gives a four and a half stars cage match gives it 8.92 which is fairly high and grapples a 4.19 so like where does this rank for you garrett do you think these stars are justified or would you go a little higher or lower i think i would have gone 
probably around the 4.5 mark because it was it was a fantastic match. And I, I, unlike Dave Meltzer, I wouldn't ever go above the five stars. So five is the absolute max. But yeah, I think he's got it right there in that like it's a very, very good match. There will certainly be better ones. Both men, I think, have had better matches in their career. Omega, for sure, obviously. Moxley, this is definitely one of his better matches, but I think he's had a few better, for my taste. Yeah, I think 4.5 is fair. Like That's where I think you're, you're in match of the year contender. Um, and I think this this was this was right up there. In terms of, like, as well, like, for a hardcore match, or, like, especially, like, the Lights Out match, like, I think the only one that's come close is Britt Baker versus Thunder Rosa, and that's because that's more... It's a very different kind of approach on their light, lights out match. It's much more intense. That one is. They just really go for it. And it's a bit more of a sprint. Whereas this one is a real like escalation of violence. Like I said earlier, like it kind of happens over a, a much longer period. So very different matches. But like I feel like I don't really know how you could do a better lights out match than this. You know, oh, I'm sure like, it could be done at some point or or hardcore like match or whatever. Like like you said earlier as well. I think it went to the perfect length of violence before it then ended and you know you move on and the, the match is full of emotion you know it's really good and like there's no doubt in my mind that these guys they gave as best as they could in this match and they, there wasn't very there wasn't very many lulls maybe setting up a few of the spots from here and there like a bit maybe contrived but again any sort of criticisms i have they're very nitpicky like yeah i think overall again this match held my attention it was really good and again with omega and mox in there who both can deliver in big match situations they did this and this was a really good period in mox's career because like he's delivered obviously against joey janela he's delivered in the, the tv matches he's had He's, he's had a really good G1, good debut in New Japan against Juice Robinson. Like this guy, he's really having a great year, and this is a great way to top it off. And I think for me, like I think I'm a little bit harsher than most people, so I, I've only gone four and a quarter stars. But that's no knock on this match whatsoever. It's still yeah. really like four stars at least is an excellent match. This just goes a little bit higher. I have seen better matches, so that's where this goes on my scale to sort of just a little bit lower. But yeah, I really enjoyed watching this match again. Loved the feud, the builds, the crowd everything like there's not much that this match really puts too far wrong it's really a really good example of how aw got professional wrestling in their initial infancy yeah absolutely and like you say just on that point as well it was another moment where it was like because the pay-per-view up until that point was good but like definitely left a little bit to be desired i think cody versus jericho really helped but like there are a few matches on there where i was like yeah that was fun but this is a pay-per-view come on and this is like your first pay-per-view since starting tv and i think this match really just helped you be like okay yeah it's it's all right <laughs> it's all right they know what they're doing you know <laughs> they do they do but like gareth it was great revisiting this match before we go today i always like to get guests on here to basically tell me what their favorite john moxley moment like this is a really good one in aw but he's had at least a good you know 15 year career at this stage so garrett what's your favorite moxley moment there's definitely a few that come to mind um his return recently after his uh his rehab was uh that was definitely emotional um his debut in aw is certainly one of them even his debut in WWE with the Shield, that's again one of my favourite WWE moments ever. So that's definitely up there. But for me, like it's actually in New Japan it, during his G1, his G1 run. I love the match with Tomohiro Ishii, but the one that I actually like really, really loved was the Shingo Takagi match. They just Towards the end of his G1 run. Yeah, they just had such fantastic chemistry together, and they just like kind of really went for it. And I love Takagi as well; he's a fantastic, uh, fantastic wrestler. And I think 
that was the moment where I was like, because obviously we'd seen him in in New Japan. He'd had matches before Juice Ishii, and you know, he had a few different other G1 matches up until that point. But this was the one where I really was like, I love this guy, you know. <laughs> and it's a pity um, that like the pandemic obviously hit, so he wasn't able to go back over. And hopefully now, yeah. that, like obviously at this point in 2022, like the restrictions in Japan seem to be you know loosening a little bit so hopefully like it'd be great to see him back in another g1 even go to yeah. wrestle kingdom properly next year like that's like that's hopefully on the horizon of all to go well but like he had and he was so motivated in that g1 like you could see he had a point to prove he went in looking at a million books his conditioning was obviously probably his best that it had ever been the guy he was ready to go he, he can see it in his first initial g1 match against tai chi like this guy he's, he's pumped he's here to kick ass and make a name for himself and show the wrestling world that like you know John Moxie is is you've only got a taste of him in WWE this is unleashed version of what he wants to be and like his again since he left WWE you can see whether it's in AEW New Japan on the Indies GCW the guy delivers no exactly he's it's just great isn't he Oh, well, Gareth, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been a pleasure. Where can people reach you if you want to hear more about you and your obviously your thoughts on you know pro wrestling? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Gareth underscore EW or on YouTube. Uh, it's just Eno Wrestling. It's it's E E N O. Some good um, videos up wrestling. there. Yeah, no, exactly. Can't recommend Garrett stuff enough if you're listening here. Garrett is an absolute, an absolute gent when it comes to pro wrestling. He has good opinions, fair opinions, and, you know, he's a nice guy to boot. So, Garrett, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me, mate. And that signals the end of today's episode. You can catch me at Osmo Joe on Twitter for my own personal handle, but you can also check out the podcast itself at Mox Podcast on Twitter. Give us some feedback, whether good, bad, or indifferent. We want to hear from you. So listen, guys, take care, spike your hair, and we will see you next week. Take care.